0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Father, we come now asking for your help, very aware that apart from you we can do nothing, there's no phrases I could turn or amount of study I could do that would bring your words to bear on your people apart from your spirit. And there's no way we can hear your words and be transformed and changed apart from your spirit. And so we don't rely on ourselves in this moment. We rely on you and your promises and we come boldly to your throne to ask you for grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week Pastor Daniel took us on a road trip through the Old Testament to show that in Christ, God was making a new nation from the many nations to fulfill all the promises and purposes spoken of Israel. So we saw that there's a a nation chosen and purified to proclaim the excellencies of God. And this week we're going to build on that idea, but one thing I like to do as we work through books of the Bible is pause for a moment and just kind of remind you where we've been and where we are and where we're going because we're now entering into kind of a new section of 1 Peter. So let me summarize just kind of the big chunks, the flow of the book of 1 Peter before we dive in. So in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, Peter was telling the people How they came to be and what promises were there. So, here's here's how this all happened, and here are the promises that you now have in Jesus Christ. They were elect exiles, born again to a living hope, an imperishable inheritance. They could rejoice in sufferings because they had the privilege of salvation in Jesus Christ. So, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, we could summarize as here's how you got here, and here's what you get as God's children. Here's what you got, here's how you got and here's what you get. And then the next section in chapter 1, verses 13 to chapter 2, verse 3 is a series of five commands meant to help them become who they are as God's children. Otherwise, here's who you are, here's what you get and now here's how you grow into that salvation that you've received all the more. They were to be holy like God, hope fully on Jesus Christ, They were to be those who would fear the Father who disciplines them out of love. They were to love one another as a purified people and they were to be those who had new longings, right? We were commanded to long for the pure spiritual milk. And then chapters 2, 4 through verse 10 were kind of meant to bring those ideas together. So if we saw here's how you got here here's what you get here's how you can walk as children he's going to say now here's how that all comes together to make you a a new people a new nation the new temple a kingdom of priests here's how you relate generally in light of all that to the world you live in in other words here's your identity and purpose as God's new people and now we get to actually the biggest section of the book, which runs from verse 11 of chapter 2 to verse 11 of chapter 4, where Peter is going to apply all of that to their current situation that they're living in. In other words, he's going to say in these two chapters, in light of all that, here's how you live in your current culture and circumstances. He's going to get particular, like about the home and about culture, And even next week about government. Man, I'm excited to preach that one. (laughs) To walk as God's chosen children in a place that will not understand them or accept them. So he's going to go in these particular areas of your life as God's chosen people, as his holy priesthood, as the the new temple, as his moving and living beings of worship. Here's how you're going to relate even in the particulars. And then verses 11 to 12 today is the general summary that will set up more of the particulars as we come to them week after week. So these two verses are kind of, here's the general way to engage, and then I'm going to show you how to walk it out situation by situation. So how will he start this section about living in a place where they will be misunderstood, maligned, and even eventually murdered? How would you start a section like that and the way Peter starts it is he reminds them that they're loved he reminds them by saying this word beloved and as I was reflecting on it this week isn't this what we do so often as well Right. I can just think of so many times in my, in my family or in the hospital with a church member or, or in the hard sufferings of life or during a storm at night when the thunder's booming and the lightning is crashing and my kids are afraid they don't go to sleep. What do we say to each other in those moments? Don't we say, I love you. I love you. You're, you're loved. Now, why do we do that? When I say that, The thunder doesn't stop. And when when I say that, my son still goes back to get heart surgery. And and when when I say that, the suffering of the family I'm sitting with doesn't magically disappear. So why do we say that? We say it because to be loved is to have a rock to stand on in the midst of uncertainty. To be loved is to to make the deepest longing of our hearts a reality when everything else feels uncertain. And so that's what he starts with here. Now does he mean beloved by him or beloved by God? And as I meditated on this all week, I came to realize you cannot separate those two. Is Peter telling them he loves them? Yes. Like, I, Peter, love you this church but but why can he say that where is all that love coming from and it's coming certainly from the fact that they together have been caught up in God's love because of the blood of Jesus they are children of God together dare I say they're a blood-bought family isn't that what we just keep seeing as we walk through this book we should not move past this too quickly. This is actually our deepest identity as the people of God. We're a new people, a new nation, the new temple, a holy priesthood, why? Because we have been loved by God from no merit of our own. We are defined by the mercy of God and by the love of God. As Peter calls them into action in the place they live in and knows it will bring them pain and it will bring them persecution, He wants this word ringing in their ears. Beloved, do you feel that this morning? Do you remember that this morning? In the midst of all that we're going through as a a church, in the midst of all the disagreements that might even be in this room about how we're even meeting right now, at the core of your being, do you remember most of all You're beloved of God. He's loved you from before the foundation of the world. When the world rejects you, remember you're accepted by God because of Jesus. When the world hates you, remember you are loved by God. When the world abandons you, remember Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. When the suffering seems too great or the cost seems too high, you are loved by God and you are loved by those who love him. This is meant to settle their souls as they move toward an uncertain future in this life because if they are loved by God, then their ultimate future is defined and determined by the all-sovereign one whose affection is upon them and will never leave them. It's meant to be a settling for their soul. As we, as a people, Ponder an uncertain future in this life. As we walk through suffering and pain, as we wrestle with the culture we live in today, we cannot forget our deepest identity and comfort and sure footing is that we have been and will be forever loved by God. So don't want to skip past that word. It's significant that that's how He addresses them, that He's reminding them. He's about to call them to really hard things. This was not an easy time. Nero is in the background. Persecution is only going to ramp up, and he wants to remind them you're loved. And we're going to see three things he calls these loved people to. He calls them to a new identity. He shows them a new enemy, and then he calls them to a new itinerary. So let's look at their new identity first. And we've seen these words before. And Here's what he says. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. To be a sojourner is to be one living in a foreign land. To be an exile is to be one who's been taken from your real home. It's two sides of the same coin. You're, you're out of place, you don't fit in, and you long to be where you really belong. You long to be home. Those who are loved by God, we saw at the beginning of chapter 2, have new taste buds that long for the pure spiritual milk of Jesus and therefore will find themselves out of place wherever they are here on earth. It doesn't matter if you're in America or Liberia or France. It doesn't matter where you are. You're going to be out of place because this place cannot be your home. You have new taste buds that have been made alive by the resurrection of Christ. They long for more of Jesus, and therefore they aren't running after all the things the world does. They, they hope in his return and their eternal inheritance, so they don't need to worry or posture or politicize or beat other people up to get their little slice of heaven on earth. It's going to look weird. They know they're loved by him, so they aren't always pining for the approval of others to make them feel better, checking their Facebook over and over again. Fifteen likes. Fifteen likes. 18 likes, ooh, one angry face, right? They don't need to do that, right? They fear God who disciplines, and so they live according to his commands that bring them life instead of running after sin that brings them death. They love each other like they've been loved, and therefore they are not like this world that beats each other up over disagreement and divides over the secondary things of this earth that will not last anyways. No matter how good they are in this earth, they're not going to last. So that's who they are. They're going to be out of step with the culture they live in. So as you think about that, you're getting a taste of it maybe in our day, but think about it w- with a people who are about to experience severe persecution. It's, it's coming soon what would their temptations be? What, what, what might be they be tempted to do in their hearts and with their lives? And I thought of three main temptations that could come that we still see today. The first temptation would be to simply meld into the culture and stop standing out, wouldn't it? I mean, just go with the flow. It's, it's so much easier And that's not all bad, right? Just assimilate. Just join in with the culture. I mean, we all love, whether we want to say it or not, assimilation. We like to be around people that are like us. We like to find our little group. We like to find our niche. We don't like different. We don't like standing out. We don't like when people look at us and go, he's different, he's weird, he's goofy. None of that's ever comfortable. So the first temptation would be assimilation. Just go with the flow. Don't stand out so much. That issue isn't really that important. Does the Bible really say that? Does it really take that strong of a stance? Second temptation would be to withdraw from the culture. Just completely separate yourself. Let's just huddle up. I mean, the world out there is dirty, right? I mean, it's ugly, and those people out there are, are bad. So let's just huddle up and hide. Call this avoidance. That's a lot less work than trying to navigate it all, right? Just avoid it. Let's, we could assimilate, we could avoid it. What's the third one? I think the third temptation would be aggressiveness. We're, we're always ready to fight for our place. I mean, I deserve certain things, right? Give me what I deserve. There's an aggressiveness, right? Suddenly, Jesus overturning the tables becomes our favorite version. I mean, mean, he had to do that, so I'm going to overturn all the tables that get in my way to keep me from getting what I want and what I deserve. And the problem with all these options is they get us nowhere in line with what Peter is going to call us to. The temptations of assimilation or avoidance or aggressiveness would be strong for a people with this backdrop of persecution coming But Peter is calling them as exiles and sojourners to something else. What's he going to call them to? He's going to call them to humble, courageous engagement that shines forth the character of Christ and shows a people whose hope is fully set on Christ. Shine forth the character of Christ and shows a people whose hope is fully set on Christ. Karen Jobs says it this way in her commentary in on 1 Peter. She tries to seek to find this, this balance for how we're to live. She says this, Peter conceptualizes the relationship of Christians to society as that of visiting strangers or resident aliens, those who appreciate, respect, and even value their hostland, but nevertheless maintain their own distinct identity within it. Let me read the last part of that again. Appreciate, respect, even value their hostland, but nevertheless maintain their own distinct identity identity within it. This is our call as citizens of heaven. So what we're going to see in chapter 2:11 to chapter 4 verse 11 our call as children of God is not assimilation or avoidance or aggressiveness because it will not shine forth the character of Christ and show a people who have unshakable hope in Christ. Instead, we remember our primary identity as exiles Sojourners, loved by God, and waiting for our true home, even as we seek to respect and value and engage this temporary home we find ourselves in. So that's number one. He's going to remind them of their new identity. He's going to start showing them how to relate in this temporary home. Number two, he talks about a new enemy. So how do we do that? How are we going to keep ourselves walking in this identity, maintaining it in the midst of a culture that's not like us and isn't going to like us. Well, we start, he says here, not by building up little walls to protect ourselves, not by making all the savvy political moves. We start by looking in our own hearts. So in this section, all about how to live in this world, he's just going to start with our own hearts. He says the new people of God with new taste buds for Jesus, there's a new Enemy and listen to what it is. He says, "Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul." This landed on me this week heavily. I mean, this this verse. <laughs> These passions. What are they waging war for? Your soul. I, I wonder. If as a people we're most consumed with holiness. I wonder if as a people we're, we're most concerned with the, our own sinful passions and lusts that are still left in here that are, are waging war. Is that like your, your deepest concern? Like my soul is in a war. Do you keep a watch on your soul? Is your eye on your soul for the passions of the flesh? Listen to Peter's own commentary on these in chapter 4 verses 2 to 3. He says live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Therefore these passions waging war against their souls are anything opposed to the will of God. Longings for things not in step with Christ. In other words, some of these passions directly contradict Christ. But, but you just can't make the case that this is anyhow, any way Christ-like. However, sometimes passions creep in and just replace ultimate passion for Christ. They may not contradict him, but they take priority over him. Now like you can justify this, like isn't this what a, a Christian would do, but really you've replaced Christ in your heart with this thing. So you can contradict Him, you can give priority over Him, or there's just things that so consume your mind. So many articles you read, so much media you look at, so many conversations you things that so control your mind that they practically shepherd you more than Christ does. And so all of the wisdom that you think is coming from here is in no way connected to Christ And Peter says, if you let these passions live in your soul, then you begin to live for them in your actions. Galatians 5.16 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. As you look on our culture, as you look at our church, you see any of these? You see any of these things raising up their ugly heads? See any of them in your own heart? I do. I see temptations to almost all these things in here, right? There's pieces of these things in, in all of us, so why am I calling it a new enemy? I'm calling it a new enemy because this war only takes place in the heart of the new people of God, in the heart of Christians. The world is not fighting this enemy, which makes it a lot harder for us to fight because everything that we're just gonna soak in and absorb all around us is not gonna be in accord with Christ. The world is not fighting for the glory of Christ in their souls. The world looks at sin as a baby lion that is cute and cuddly and comfortable and forgets that as it grows it will tear them apart. The monster of the world is do whatever makes you happy in the moment. The world does not seek to exalt Christ and therefore belittles his beauty and waters down his worth. There's not an awareness of the all-consuming glory of God in the face of Christ. You just don't see that anywhere. Therefore, We can't take our cues from the world, no matter which political side it's on. Can't take our cues from anywhere in the world because we know the glory of Christ is not their ultimate aim. But instead, we take our cues from the Word. We don't take our cues from the world and just do what is fashionable in our day to either be for or against. We take our cues from the Word. We respect and we engage the place we are. We don't just belittle it and throw it away and disengage. We maintain our own identity in it. We follow Jesus and we walk in the freedom of glad obedience as we commend him to the world. That's the call of the Christian. To put off our old self which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. These deceitful desires are not just at work out there. They're in work in here. Peter's writing to the church. So often we can read these lists and go, oh man, I see that everywhere around me. And Peter would say, what about inside you? What about among you? Do you see those things there? These deceitful desires are subtle. They seek to ruin our taste buds for Jesus. Just make him less important, less the feast that he is. They seek to make us believe sin is not a big deal. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with younger people who in their relationship are asking, well, how far is too far? And we all do that in different ways in our life. Well, how, how, what kind of stuff can, I, can I, I watch? What kind of things can I, I see? How far is really too far? Isn't that just a backwards question for those ransomed and redeemed by Christ? Like, isn't the question, what stokes my affections for Jesus? How far can I go in my holiness? How far can I go in making much of Christ with every moment, with every breath? Isn't that what it's about? And if it's not, then what are we doing? It ain't worth it if it's not about that, if it's not all-consuming like that. These sinful desires seek to make us think that there's something more satisfying than knowing Jesus and walking in deep, sweet fellowship with Him. These deceitful desires, really what they're trying to do, especially in the church, is make us a divided person and people. Our minds filled with facts about Christ, but those facts cut off from what we love and what we do and how we spend our time and how we spend our resources and our energy and our lives. To abstain from the passions of the flesh is to seek full integration. So we're after integration as a whole person, minds and hearts and hands, fully enthralled with the person and work of Christ and eager to engage others with humble, courageous love that shines forth his character and shows the power of the gospel is real. He's really alive, like in us and among us and moving. We're prone to think the enemy is somewhere out there. But the New Testament regularly calls our attention inside of ourselves to look at our own sin-sick soul that is tempted to run back to the deceitful desires that feel so good in the moment, especially when following Jesus feels so hard. Right? You just want to throw in the instant macaroni and cheese because you don't have time to crock-pot it. Right? We want to insta-pot everything. We love the insta-pot, but we just want the quick answers. We don't want to feast Number three. We've seen new identity. We've seen a new enemy. And now we have a new itinerary. As those with a new identity, fighting off a new en- enemy, we have a new itinerary, new purpose, and new goals in our sights. Look at verse twelve. It says, "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so only speak against you as evil doers; they may see your good deeds and glorify God." on the day of visitation peter knew you're going to be misunderstood you're going to be maligned your new tastes and your new king and you, you as a new people are going to lead you to fight these passions in your soul that the world loves and always be out of step with the ultimate purposes and goals of the place you live we we just are we don't have the same goals or purposes for our lives And this happened back then, lest we think that we're just experiencing it now. They didn't go with their culture's values and were soon seen basically as a bunch of crazy people who are messing with society. There's a historian named Tacitus, and he described Christianity as a dangerous superstition and Christians as a race detested for their evil practices. we, We feel this today, don't we? Feel some of this? Starting to feel it more? When the world calls what God calls good evil, we don't go along. We can't. When the world calls good what God calls evil, we don't go along, so we're seen as unloving, uncaring people who are are foolish and antiquated. How should we respond? How how do we respond in light of those accusations? And Peter would call us to respond with self-giving, costly love for each other in the world that shows the beauty of Now, why do I say that shows the beauty of Jesus? Because Peter calls them to beautiful conduct. That's the word he uses, beautiful. Show your, do good, beautiful conduct. In fact, it's the same word we see when he says good deeds. Do beautiful things so that as people see your beautiful deeds, they will not be able to maintain their claims. As they say evil, foolish, stupid, uncaring, you respond with beauty. (laughs) Respond with beautiful deeds that shine forth the beauty of Christ That they'll see the beauty and not be able to deny that maybe you're not quite like how they made you out to be. In fact, chapter 2, verse 15 puts it this bluntly. This is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So one of the reasons to do beautiful things. So when people say, well, well, you know so-and-so, just a crazy Christian, doesn't care, he's against this, this, and this, that as your neighbors and those in your sphere of influence hear those things about you, they go, but man, I see a lot of beauty. <laughs> he, he loves my family well. He, he listens to us. He, he cares about us. He engages us. He takes time to talk to us. I, I, I at least got to go talk to him. That doesn't seem like it could be True. But ultimately, we don't do this simply to put people to silence. We do this so that people will open their mouths to glorify God. So, as Christians who don't give into assimilation, avoidance, or aggressiveness, but instead live in this humble, courageous, Christ centered, countercultural way, we expect to be belittled and we pray that God will be seen as beautiful. We expect to be persecuted. And we, we pray that God will be praised. This is not an us versus them moment in First Peter. Don't hear it that way. It, it could never be that. This is an us for them moment. This is an us for the world moment. It could never be that because we remember as the people of God that the difference between us and them is mercy. How, how could it ever be us versus them? How could it ever be us thumbing our noses at them how could it ever be us wringing our fists angry at them that they don't get it when we didn't get it except for mercy once we had not received mercy now we have received mercy that's the difference the mercy of God is the theme of our lives chapter one we're born again why according to his great mercy I mean, this is the theme. Why are you sitting here trusting in Jesus if you are because of mercy? You can't point to anything in your life, any super spirituality, anything you did. It's just mercy. He came and He rescued you. He pursued you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life. The root that flowers into the fruit of lives that want to show the beauty of our King is the root that remembers it's all mercy. Mercy. We know we won't be perfect, but oh, because of his mercy, how we long for people to see glimpses of his self-giving love, of his righteousness, of his humility, and of his obedience to God, even glimpses of it in us. That's not a a wrong thing to pray. God, I'm about to go into this coffee shop. I'm going to have an interaction with this barista. I wanted to see you. Help me show her you somehow. God, I'm, I'm outside in my yard, and I see a neighbor, and I've walked past too many times in a hurry. Lord, Lord help, me, help me go and help, help them see you. I want them to see you. I want them to taste your mercy. We don't thumb our noses at people who aren't there yet. We pray for those who persecute us. It says the day of visitation is coming, Commentators go different ways in this. This could mean the day when God visits people with conviction and saves them. kind of language is used a couple times in Acts. Or it could have the Old Testament backdrop of the day God returns to judge the world. And I lean that way because it's it's way more used and seems like what Peter is always talking about. Either way, what Peter is saying here is to live in such a way that lines up integration. (laughs) The beauty of Jesus in his redemption, in his person, in his work the beauty of Jesus on display in your life so that the world will see the beauty of Jesus through us, whether they call it beautiful right now or not, and God will get the glory. We have new identities, we fight a new enemy, and we live with this new itinerary, living every moment for the glory of our King. Let's go to the application. This whole passage... I don't think you can read this and have read your Bible for a while, not think of Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So what is the goal of all of life? When I say every moment, man, I mean that, and I want to believe it more. (laughs) I want to live it more. What's the goal that others would give glory to God. We're loved by God and he's loved us so that we will be light. Listen to what he says in John 12, verses 35 to 36. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. We're called to be sons and daughters of light because we've seen the light. We've believed in the light. We know where we're going. We're not confused anymore. We have our new itinerary. We're called to beautiful conduct because the world is watching. We want to show the beauty of our king to them. So what are some ways we can do this? I could just stop here and say, well, Peter's going to tell us in the next few weeks. But I just want to give a few examples of just how radical and how simple this is. This is a very radical way to begin living. Every moment for His glory, every moment to display His beauty, every breath, whether it's in your family kitchen or walking through your neighborhood or at the coffee shop or at your work, wherever it is, this is radical and yet very simple. So what could we do? Well, we can love because He first loved us in these ways. As the world says Christians are unloving and uncaring, we could love and care for people. Couldn't we? Maybe make some time in our busy schedules to to think, how how could I love someone this week? How could I reach out and, and do something that would show care for someone this week? Love your neighbors well. Get to know them. Open your garage door once in a while. Be on the lookout for who you can love wherever you are. It's time for us to view our homes and our workplaces and coffee shops as massively important in shining the light of Christ. Like, do you believe that you are where you are every moment of your life for the glory of Christ? There's no accidents. He's determined the dwelling places of all people. He's established the line so that people might feel their way to God. You're a part of that. That's what he's doing. You want to say, man, I wish there was more of a witness in my neighborhood. It's you. That's why you're there. Or as the world says, Christians are unwelcoming. Always giving the cold shoulder, always stiff arming, you could show hospitality. Invite people not like you into your home. So they're going to say we're cold and, and we're unwelcoming. Show hospitality. It's even a biblical command. You're just, you're just obeying. Or as the world says Christians don't care about the marginalized, let's go to the poor and the orphan and the immigrant. And the widow, with love, let's sit with the down and out and tell them there's a Savior who will bind up their wounds, who sees them, who cares for them, and will save them from their sins. As the world says Christians are ignorant and unwilling to learn, let's be slow to speak and quick to listen. Be the best listener to those who aren't like you. Respect them and then commend the beauty of Jesus to them. As the world says Christians are hypocrites, agree with them. Yeah, we are, and that's why we so desperately need Jesus. We're not saints here to show our superiority. We are sinners, saved by grace, completely needy beggars, calling others to come with us and find true food and true drink. Now, I said it's simple. I just want to say one other thing about everything I just said. They're all plain commands in the Bible. I'm going to go, man, Dave's asked me to be radical and crazy. I'm going to have to change my schedule. Things are going to have to get moved around. These are just like, you can find these everywhere, every epistle. You you can find these everywhere in the Bible from the beginning to the end. This is what God does in the heart of someone that he's redeemed. So we don't assimilate. We follow Jesus. We don't avoid. We engage with the love and hope of Jesus. We don't get aggressive and angry. We humbly commend the beauty of Jesus. Do you want to be distinctly Christian in this age? Do you want to make an eternal difference? Remember you're loved. Fight your sins. Repent of the passions that are winning right now. Live for the glory of our King and seek to shine the glories of God to the world as we point them to the the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. So, Father, in this room right now, in the souls of your redeemed people, there is a war going on. Passions are winning in some of our hearts. We're, we're not fighting for we're honest. We're covering them up. We're distracting ourselves we're numbing ourselves with entertainment or social media father would you grant grace in this moment for the places where the passions of the flesh are winning would you grant grace for this people right now to come again to your throne of grace and mercy and ask you for help and you say at that throne there's grace and mercy and well-timed help. Maybe there's an addiction in this room that's been there for 20 years. Would you break it in this moment by your mercy? Would you have it seen to be as serious as it is? And would you help them come to the throne of grace? And would you grant a, a grace for them to tell someone about it, to get help, to ask you for help? Would you break the power of canceled sin? Give them mercy again. And Father, maybe... There are some who, have, who have, have given in to these three temptations to, to assimilate, to just go with the flow. It's so much easier. Maybe they don't do it all the time, but maybe at work they do it. And maybe in conversation with certain family members they do it. Father, help us not assimilate. Maybe some of us just want to run away because it's so hard right now. Father, help us not avoid. Maybe some of us are angry and aggressive. Father, help us not be that way. Help us humbly commend the beauty of Jesus. Father, revive our souls, revive us as a people to live in the beauty of Jesus so that others will see your beauty and give glory to God. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others